0: listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 157. Mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with two-time terminal cancer survivor and elite mountaineer Sean Swarner to talk about how he redefined the impossible by becoming the only person in history to climb the seven highest peaks in the world, trek to the South and North Poles, and complete the Hawaiian Ironman all with one lung. Sean stresses that none of these accomplishments would be completed without committing to mental skills like visualization and self-talk. Combining his will to live and mental performance, there is nothing that Sean can't overcome and conquer. Tune in to this incredible interview and learn more about one of the eight most inspirational people of all time. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athletes Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely, anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR.
1: Hey, Sean, how are you? Doing great, Grant. How you doing? Oh, man, I... I'm awesome right now. I mean, my frequency is uh, kind of off the charts um, for many reasons, but having this conversation with you is going to be, uh, it's going to be a treat and an honor because what you've done um, as an athlete and as a human being is um, remarkable. and And I get to share that with my listeners. So I'm really excited to have you on my show. I appreciate it. I appreciate
2: it. It's 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 right here, man. That's, that's the muscle people forget to work out. The most important one, the
1: six-inch gap between their ears. Yep, exactly. And that's why having you on the show to talk about your mindset, but your journey of adversity, uh, overcoming cancer, overcoming all of the major mountains in this world that you've climbed and Ironmans and all these things that you do, it, it's going to be um, kind of it's going to be actually a real cool treat to to share that process with everyone. So, with with that being said, love talking about mental toughness, and I know that you've had it you've gone through a couple times in your life where you had to be mentally tough. Right. So when you think about mental toughness, like, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Well, I think first of all,
2: it's a great and no one's ever asked me that. To be honest with you, they always just want to hear about the story, and as opposed to like, how did you do it? So I, I think, in you know, thinking out loud, mental toughness means having the focus to be able to give attention to my personal core values and focus what means most to me to help me become better than I was yesterday. and not getting caught up in what um, what others want for me but going after what I know is best for me. And, and once I utilize my personal core values, I know how to, exactly how to do that. So it's being able to focus on what means most to me to help support myself to be better
1: than I was yesterday. Wow. You know, again, we've talked about this on the front end. Uh, no one's really associated the, the core value piece that I've heard when I asked that question. Because uh, in the moment, it's really hard sometimes to think about other things, but you're I can only imagine, you know, the things you've gone through and climbing a mountain, like there's a lot of things that you have to listen to and talk to and and to connect with. And so connecting with your core values, to me, it's like, that, that's a beautiful answer to that question. But
2: I, I appreciate it. And I think it, it came from when I was battling a couple of cancers, you know, my, when I was younger, 13, the first time, 16, the second time, basically my whole teen years. And while while my friends were out, you know, chasing girls, collecting baseball cards, at that age, you know, your, your hormones are kicking in, you're growing hair in unusual places on your body. Right, right. <laughs> I, I was I was losing my hair, but I was focused on just living and surviving, as opposed to, in my mind, those those petty things. So I, I think from a young age, I started looking at I didn't know it then, I didn't know it was my personal core values. But I, I started focusing on something that meant most to me, which at that time, and still now,
1: is, is life and living. Mm. And, you know, we're going to get more into that, um, that experience and what you had to go through. Uh, but when you think about whether if it was dealing with cancer or um, being Iron Ironman or climbing the biggest mountains in the world, is there a specific time when you think about all the things you've gone through? Um, where you had to be mentally tough, that moment where you just had to dig in your heels and, and connect with your core values. Like, is, is that that one monumental moment? Do I, do I, do I just get one? Uh, well, you, yeah, you <laughs> hey, bring it,
2: bring it. Well, I, th- I think in, in all honesty, the first one was probably let's, let's flash back to when I was 13. Three months into the first cancer, into treatment for the first cancer, I literally and I've, I still vividly remember it, it still brings back incredible emotions sitting on the side of my bed in the morning and looking off to my left side where my pillow was, it, it was covered in hair. So I, I, I ran to the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I, and I thought maybe I could fix it. Maybe I could stop it from falling out, whatever. But I, I knew it was inevitable. And every time I take my COVID hat off, there you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> but every, every time I, I pulled my hand, hair out like this, it, it would come out in chunks. So I, I went into the shower, <clears throat> I turned on the shower and, and I, as I sat in there, it was weird this time, it, the water wasn't hitting my hair and kind of seeping in, you know, when you get in the shower, you can feel it soaking okay. down. This time it just eventually just started hitting my scalp. It was like hitting my skin. And every time I brought my hands down from washing my head, they were literally covered in hair. So, 13 years old, eighth grade, I remember collapsing to, to the shower floor on my hands and knees, weeping, absolutely sobbing, pulling chunks of hair out of the drain just so the water could go down.
1: Mm.
2: And I think it was in that moment of literal utter despair. That I started thinking about life. And like I said earlier, my friends were out chasing girls, having a great time. I was, you know, flashback to that kid on the shower floor. I was, I, I saw that I had two choices. I could either fight for my life or give up and die. Mm. Those were, were my only two options. And, and it became my MO because there were numerous, numerous nights year, for years where I would be terrified at night to close my eyes. So imagine you're laying in bed. You say you're going to bed tonight and you're scared to death to close your eyes because you don't know if you're there. You're there ever going to open again because there were nights I went to bed, not knowing if I was going to wake up the next morning. So I think that was the first time I, I, I decided I made a conscious decision that I did not want to focus on not dying. I wanted to focus on living.
1: And when you're 13 years old, like you said, you know your body's going through changes. Yours is going through an extreme change, right? Whether you're going to be there or not, you know when you get older in life, you know there's wisdom. There's things that you you go through, and and if you reflect, you use those moments so you can actually make better decisions and learn things about yourself. But you're 13 years old. You're still trying to learn who you are, but you're still. But you you're you're pushed in fifth gear to make a decision, and. And I, I don't know too many thirteen-year-olds how to like make a decision, and I'm sure there's a lot of them out there um, that have different backstories. But how do you think that moment, and I can only imagine what you're going to say, how that shaped the rest of your life? You're Thirteen years old, and you're like, I'm going to fight
2: for my life. It, it definitely had an impact on my entire life. <clears throat> the first time it had an impact was the second cancer. I knew what I had to do. Uh, the, I guess. The next time it impacted my life is when I went to college. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I looked at looked back on my life and realized that cancer robbed me of of my teen years, my high school years. So, I I I turned into Belushi from Animal House in college. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> I had a blast, man! It was fantastic. But when when you have something traumatic like cancer. First time around, I was given three months to live. Second time, I remember laying in a hospital bed. They gave me 14 days to live. I had a man of the cloth come in, reading me my last rites. Mm -hmm. And I looked at my mom. I was just like, what's he doing? I'm I'm not dead yet. And then the hospital wanted me to write out a a living will. 16 years old. I have a brother who's three years younger than I am. Again, I looked at my parents and thought, isn't Seth going to get my hand-me-downs anyhow? Like, what does a hospital want? So... At at that time, I didn't really understand how it was going to change my life. But hindsight, looking back at it, I realized that I have a choice. No matter what I go through in my life, I have a choice in how I want to come out on the other side. And and yes, it was a horrible experience. It was a tragic experience. But I've gone from tragedy to triumph. And I've utilized what I've been through and the knowledge that I've learned going through that. And in utilizing, going back to the first question, utilizing my personal core values and focusing on that, being mindful of them every day, and pushing myself every day. Right. But over and over and over again, people people want to change like that. The, the only time that's going to happen is through something traumatic, a car accident, even uh, a death of a loved one, um, you know, a divorce, a breakup, whatever or you can mindfully change yourself and focus on what means most to you and mindfully do that day in day out. Yeah. That's what I've learned going through these, these two traumatic and well, looking at my life going up the mountains too, because there were times I was crossing crevasses going uh, up Mount Everest, where if I literally took a half, you know, six inches to one side on the mountain, there was a place where I I would fall straight down two miles. Wow. But I've I've learned to focus on where I want to go and what I want to do, not a, not focusing on the avoidance of what I don't
1: want to happen. Mm. Well, you, you talk about choice. Um, and when you're in a position, when you're, you know, the doctors say that you have a couple of days to live, a couple of months to live, you're at that point. Um, you know, I, I love this has helped me through my bullshit and stuff that I had to go through with my body but I got to a point where I don't have to do anything, but I get to like, I get to do it. And that's when I learned how to redesign grant, you know, going into my forties by just that question. Cause I don't, I really don't have to do anything. You didn't have to live. You didn't have to do, you might think that you have to do stuff. You don't have to do anything, but do you think that you came from that mindset of that you you get to actually dig in your heels and fight this thing and then live this beautiful life that you're living? I, I think I, I think
2: so. And I, I think every every morning, how many people do you think wake up and they think of all the things they have to do, they need to do, they should do?
1: Mm.
2: You're, you're starting your day off on a negative note, day after day after day after day. The first thing you need to do is stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> i i love that right? but if if you wake up in the morning and you start it with an attitude of gratitude you you get you look at all the things that you're you want to do that you're able to do that you're grateful for doing so that's i, I start every morning like that And before i even get out of bed i tell myself and anybody can use this because it, it's it's a great affirmation and it's, it resonates so true the instant I wake, my, I wake up, my eyes open, I tell myself, the past is gone. There's nothing I can do about it. Exactly. Tomorrow may never come. No matter what happens today, today is the best day ever.
1: Yeah.
2: And you, you have a choice to make it that way. Mm. Like you said, you can focus on all that crap that you, that you have to do, that you need to do, that you should do, that you, you feel that you, you're <laughs> – all the stuff that you probably don't want to do to begin with. Right. Or you can wake up and think, oh, yeah, you know, I'm fortunate I get to do this. I'm, I'm blessed I get to do that. Focusing on
1: everything that you're grateful for. And that's the way to start your day. Yeah. And it's the law of two easies. It's really easy to do and it's really easy not to do. Right. And I think when we, when we get to that point, we get to actually be grateful. We, we get to be in this very moment. Um, and it's very hard for people to do that. Um, and I understand that there's tons of distractions and, you know, social media and our devices and all these things that pull us away, uh, from that present moment to be grateful because we're so worried about tomorrow or what just happened or what happened yesterday. And so, um, the more that we, to me, the more we can be present and be grateful. You're talking about that. That's where greatness lies. Like greatness doesn't lie in the future and it doesn't lie in the past, unless you learn from the past. Right. But it's just greatness is now. But, but people have, they do have a choice. Like they,
2: they can wake up in the morning, grab their phone and get on social media, check out the media, check out the news, whatever it might be. And I would say 90% of the time it's people pick up their phone and they're on me on the media, either before they go to the bathroom or while they're going to the bathroom. One of of the two, (laughs) You know, within f- the first fifteen minutes of waking up, if you're going to grab your phone, why wouldn't you just Google inspirational videos or inspirational quotes or something to start it off on a good note? Yeah, because it's huge. You, if if you look at the amount of news that's out there, I do I don't, don't want to say fake news, this news, whatever, just negative news. Yeah, it's ninety nine percent negative stuff. It is. Why, why would you inundate your brain day in, day out? You're, you're developing a pattern. If, if you're not careful, if you don't program your brain, your brain will be programmed for you. And people need to understand that they have a choice in how their, their brain is programmed. So, I mean, f- perfect example. Let's say you, every, every day you wake up for the past 10 years of your life, the alarm goes off. Eh, eh, eh. What do people do? They hit snooze day in day out when you're not being mindful that you're subconsciously telling yourself "Eh, i'm not excited about today and my day can wait but (laughs) if you turn that if you turn that sucker off and you get out of bed the instant it goes off you're starting your day off on a note and you're telling yourself day in day out i'm excited for for what's going to happen today and i want to take it on
1: yeah i like that and dude it's such a I'm going to use this, um, but it's such a great point when you wake up, like, okay, there's things you can do as a routine, but why not wake up to inspiration? Why not wake up to motivation? Like, and if it's not that, maybe it's music. Maybe it's like something that where you can actually ignite that positivity instead of going to channel two and and checking out the latest crime. Exactly. Exactly, and, and whatever works for you. If it's
2: music, that's fantastic. You know, completely non-judgmental. Yeah. But the only way to know what works
1: best for you is to know what your personal core values are. It's huge. That's huge. And you know what? I'm, I'm gonna ask. This is I don't know. This is an unfair question. Maybe it's, it's an interesting question. Um, but when you think, or considering that you are a cancer, a two time cancer survivor, and this, you're this unbelievable, call it extreme athlete. When you when you think about battling cancer or climbing Mount Everest, especially with partial lungs, what was the hardest? I knew that's where that question
2: was going. They're 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 different. <clears throat> okay. it's, it's like it's like comparing Everest to the Hawaii the, the the World Championship Hawaii Ironman Triathlon. You know that was over in eleven half eleven and a half hours. Everest. I got to base camp April 8th, summited May 16th. So I don't know if you've ever not taken a shower for a month and a half. It's not pretty. (laughs) (laughs) I can only (laughs) imagine. So they're completely different. However, I think the mindset of going through both of those or going into both of those was, was very similar. I think the biggest difference is going into... The athletic uh, achievements, like the the Ironman, the Seven Summit, skiing to the the poles, Everest. I know I'm getting into that. I know I'm I'm voluntarily putting myself in an uncomfortable situation. With the two cancers, I didn't have time to prepare for it, and I think it was different because I I
1: had to react as opposed to act. Mm. Well, let me me ask you this, because I think this all kind of ties in, Um, you know, being the athlete that you are, the performer you are, uh, any performer, you have to deal with what they call self-talk, that inner dialogue, the inner critic, Um, call it noise, internal, external noise. And when you were going through your cancers, especially when the doctor was giving you, you know, 16, whatever, how many days it was to live, right? That's noise. Like, and the reason why I want to bring this up because this is what a long time ago when I read the um, Lance Armstrong's book, and I remember when he went through, um, when he was going through cancer, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I know the doctor told him the wrong timeline on how much time he had left, and it wasn't that much. And the reason why, because he wanted to give him hope, he he wanted to give him a chance to fight for it, and so if he would have told him typically what they've said is that usually when you tell somebody that you have 16 days left, people give up. There's, there's nothing to live and fight for, but he wanted a Lance knowing Lance, knowing how he trained and competed, he wanted to give him a, a chance to fight. And, and so he didn't tell Lance until Lance was, you know, in remission and, and was you know normal again, uh, told him that story. And, you know, as you can imagine, it, it just buckled Lance, mm-hmm. but, when you think about people's perspectives and, and words, right, in your own words, how in like, when you had to deal with that doctor telling you that, like telling you that you had a few days to, to live, um, and when you go to, like, Mount Everest and you go to all these peaks and summits, I can only imagine you can't listen to bullshit. You can't listen to your thoughts. You have to be talking to your thoughts. You have to be in control. So how important is it to, to have that self-talk to have that, that healthy inner dialogue that, that's exactly
2: I call it the internal dialogue. <clears throat> and the, the funny thing is who do you speak to throughout the day more than anybody else? Wow. yourself. And how often is that negative di- is that dialogue negative? For most people, it's that constant nagging voice. Oh, you're not smart enough to do that. You're not strong enough to do that. You can't do that. You don't have enough experience. Would you want to be friends with someone who was that negative to you? Uh, (laughs) Then why why do you do it to yourself? I love it. I love it. So what I do is I I have a mantra on Kilimanjaro, like I said earlier, off off camera, that I, I take a group up every year as a fundraiser for a cancer charity and our success rate is double that of the the average. I mean, double, that's insane. But it's because we focus on what we want to get out of it and we focus on the fun, we focus on the good aspects of it. And every time I'm on Kilimanjaro and when I went up Everest, I told myself with literally every step, the higher I go, the stronger I get. The higher I go, the stronger I get. Right foot down, the higher I go, the stronger I get. The higher I go, the stronger I get. And I think it, it it's very similar to the analogy. <clears throat> let's say you have a, a, a glass of, of water. Dirty water represents negative thoughts. Clean water represents positive thoughts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So let's say you have a glass of dirty water and you constantly flush in clean water. What's going to happen? You're going to eventually have a glass of clean water. It's the same thing with your mind and your thoughts. So even even now, if you have negative thoughts in your brain, I'm not strong enough. I, I, I don't have enough experience. If you constantly flush your brain with positive affirmations, with positive thoughts to build yourself up, you're going to slowly get rid of those things. But you have to be very mindful and catch yourself when those negative thoughts slip in there. And so many people think they're being positive when they're actually not, and they don't even know it. Right. For example, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, don't trip. Hey, don't be, don't act like a fool. You're still telling yourself something negative. A, a perfect example: you're walking down the street, t- constantly telling yourself, "Don't trip, don't trip." You're gonna fall on your face. Exactly. But if you turn it around and tell yourself, "Stand tall, walk strong." Exactly. That's positive. So people need to catch when they're actually telling, when they think they're telling themselves something positive, when it's something negative, and they need to pay attention to the internal dialogue
1: to catch themselves to change it. Exactly. It's building that awareness. Absolutely. Yeah, it's huge. Um, and I'm I love mantras, man. I I live and die by them since I was 16 years old. Um, the one that I use the most when I speak um, in front of groups is I always say they want to hear me. Right. They want to hear me tap into your joy. They want to hear me tap into your joy. And guess what? I'm, when I'm going in there. I'm I'm, I'm tapping to the most beautiful emotion, joy. And they want to hear me. And I get to do this. I get to do this. They want to hear me. And I keep on saying that. And I'm not thinking about anything else except for doing it. And they're going to hear me and they're going to love what I'm going to say. And I'm joyful. I'm like, what if I had that in every performance in my life? And guess what? I can choose that. Absolutely.
2: I mean, it works in any situation. You know, <clears throat> entrepreneurs, people in the stock market, I guarantee you they don't get into it thinking to themselves, I, I, I don't want to lose money. Don't lose money. Don't lose money. No, <laughs> I want to make money, you know, make money, money, money. They, they think that they want to make money. <laughs> so focus on what you want, not
1: the avoidance of what you don't. People yeah. need to understand that. It's so powerful. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's something like recently with my mentor and I, uh, really cool breakthrough on on abundance. And I think what I've done through my life is I kind of sabotage when of the things that I want and I get it, then I feel like um I don't want to be too selfish with it. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want more of it because I, I already proved I can get it. And I think I've realized now that abundance, you just stay open. And we have this thing, my mentor and I, it's this. So whenever things are coming our way, because we're doing some really cool stuff with music and all this abundance is coming, it's not about getting scared or this is enough. It's about more, right? More. Because the more that I get this, I'm going to actually give it back to someone or some things. And I'm going to take care of that energy. But it's about just being abundant. I think with our thinking is like, with the affirmations and the in the mantras, we have to be abundant with with that train of thought. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's
2: that's one of the reasons why I continue going up Kilimanjaro. We do it as a fundraiser for a cancer charity, and we we pay for a survivor's trip every year, and then it's the survivor's responsibility to raise funds for next year's survivor, kind of paying it forward. And I I think. People have asked me before, well, why do you keep doing it? It's it's not about the challenge. I know I can make it up to the top of the mountain. It's about getting to a point in your life where, for me, for example, this is going to sound really bad. I love guiding people to the top of that mountain and seeing them cry. You know, not, yeah. not, not because they're in pain, but because there are just so many emotions come flooding out. And I know that I've, I've changed someone's life. They come up to me, and they say, thank you so much for getting me here. And I, I look at them and in an instant. I see them change when I tell them I didn't get you here. Right. That's that, uh, that, you know, uh, I, I like that, you know,
1: keep, yeah, just, give, give me yeah. that abundance, but you turn it right back. Yeah. And you know what I love about it too? And this is, um, whether if it is a mountain or sometimes when we're, when we're trying to achieve our goals, it, Feels like a mountain, right? Like depending on what it is, but like metaphorically or physically, when you're getting to the very top of your goal or a mountain, there is incredible amounts of vulnerability that you have to have to get up there, to get to the top. And again, I, I'm going to quote uh, my mentor, Graham Betchard. He he's coined this phrase: "Victory goes to the vulnerable." And when you were sharing about seeing someone get to the top and crying. Because of that the joy, it's like there's so much celebration and victory in that vulnerability. Get to that top of that mountain. And for you to be like the, the facilitator, the guide for that experience, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, I never thought about that. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I'm just helping people
2: tap into their own empowerment. They, everybody has it within them. They just have to
1: believe it sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Well, and when you think about all the different climbs, right? There's different terrains, different dynamics that you have to plan for. Um, when it comes to preparation, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, is is there a, is there a huge difference in your preparation when you go from dip, from climb to climb or Ironman to Ironman, like, or is it pretty pretty consistent and similar?
2: It's it's different. So, <clears throat> excuse me. For example, wooden. I, I, I took a, a trip to the North Pole. I, I, I was on an expedition to the North Pole, um, eighty below. To eighty below, it was frigid. I mean, it was just awful. Um, but training for that, I was literally dragging my jeep around the neighborhood <laughs> uh, with with someone in the driver's seat. You know, just to hit the brakes in case I went out of control to steer it. But also, I went to. Um, I think it was big O tires or something like that where I went up and I asked the guys, what do you, what do you do with the old tires? The guy looked at like had three heads or something. It's like, told him like, I want them. Like what are you <laughs> going to do with old tires? I actually, I got three or four of them and I drilled holes into the sidewalls and tied them together. And I, I got my, my harness that I was going to be using for the sled that I was going to be dragging to the North Pole and I dragged the tires around my neighborhood, you know, four or five miles. It was funny because the people who would drive by one of two reactions, either (laughs) rolling up the window, like this guy's crazy. He's a nut job. Or one, you know, one person came by and started joking around, you know, those things move a lot better when they're up and they're rolling around as opposed to being dragged to the ground. So for that one, I looked at, I was like, yeah, thanks buddy. Um, For Kilimanjaro, I will go up, you know, a series of of stairs or up mountains here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. So the training is specific for what I'm doing. You know, if you're going to train for the New York City Marathon, you're not going to hop in the pool and swim laps until your arms fall off. You're going to go run. You're going to put in miles. So I try to simulate what I'm going to be doing on the event as best I can before I get there. And I, I train so hard that I'm actually thankful the actual event is here so I can stop training.
1: <laughs> and and how much do you, how much do you visualize? I mean, especially if it's like uh, a mountain you've already done or, or a race you've already done, um, which makes it easier to visualize because you're, you've already been in that environment. But how much do you practice that technique?
2: Visualization, I practice every night before I go to bed. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I do it. I do it my way, and I I don't want to say it's the proper way, but I think there's a key component that a lot of people, when they visualize, they don't get to. So the first one is you, you have to visualize from the first person point of view, not like dreamland where you're looking at yourself and watching yourself do it. It has to be from your own eyes. The second step is you have to engage your other senses. Your smell, your sound, your feeling. So for Everest, for example, I've, every night I went to bed when I was training, I would visualize myself on top taking those last few steps. I would hear the styrofoam crunching of the snow underneath my feet. I would hear the wind whipping by my ears. I would smell the ozone. I would feel the sun the, the, the sun burning my face. And then the last part of it that people, this is, this is usually, that's usually where people stop where they don't continue is tapping into that emotional attachment. So when I got to the top of Everest, every night I went to bed, I visualized and I felt that success. What did that mean to me? How did I feel when I got up there? I knew it was going to be an an incredibly emotional experience. So I I visualized that. And not only did I see it, I felt it. So for my brain, it was real. So I call that vivid visualization. Because your, your brain doesn't know the difference between vivid visualization and reality. Numerous studies, I'm sure you've seen the one with oh, yeah. basketball free throws, you know, you the sure? piano or visualizing. So, those are the three steps people have to focus on seeing it first, using utilizing all your senses. But the next component is feeling. How does it feel? That's what's going to get you through. And when you're going towards whatever, that, whatever goal you have, If you are feeling the emotional attachment to the end result, nothing will get in your way because in your mind, you're already successful and everything you're going through is, is, will never be as enough to completely stop you. It'll just slow you down.
1: I love all that. And it's, you know, it's just so funny. I I was just before the podcast talking about visualization with, with an intern and, and the rules and why we do it. And your mind doesn't know the difference between a mental rep and a physical rep. Like, so this is great. And, and what I love about visualization, and I love saying this every time is that you get to be your own filmmaker. You get to create this incredible, not only this, like, you know, you're talking about tapping in on your senses. Why not, why not throw in a Rocky song or your, your walk-up song, whatever it is, man. Cause you know, you can watch a beautiful movie. If there's no music to it, it's not that impactful, but when you have that soundtrack, that score, like you have the ability to create that, that monumental picture. And so to me, you know, building trust and, and that's why we do it, trust and confidence to, um, with our visualization. But when you get to like be your filmmaker and see yourself doing the impossible and it becomes, and I think that's what you've been doing your whole life. You've been taking these things that are, Deemed to be impossible, and you're making it possible, and it's just it's beautiful.
2: I, th- I think so many times you have to believe it before you see it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's interesting because I want to go into this segue into this topic, fear, because that can get that that can be the blockage. Um, we hear about fear. Um, you know, the false evidence appearing real. Right. But there's this thing, fear and fearless is balance. A lot of people say, man, you don't want to live a fearless life because that, that you're living on the danger of something, you know, people that have been fearless have a shorter life. So how do you balance that? The, the fear of all the mountains that you've climbed, because there's times where you have to be a little bit fearless um, I'm guessing you can correct me if I'm wrong because I don't know how you think about it. But how do you how do you deal with fear, and how do you deal with you know tapping into this fearless mindset when you need to? So, first of all, I think I take
2: calculated risks, and I, I know what I'm getting into. And also during my visualization, um, I go through different potential scenarios of what could go wrong, mm-hmm. and I deal with them before they happen, if they happen. So that way I know how I'm going to deal with the situation. Let's, let's say you and I are going up Denali and all of a sudden you fall into a crevasse. Boom. I instantly know I have to set up a Z line and throw in something to pull you out. You know, depending on if you're conscious or unconscious. <laughs> right. But I, I go through those, those scenarios and those situations. And I know how to instantly react. I don't have to think about it. I know boom, boom, this is what you do. Okay. Yeah. So I deal with, Something potentially negative before I get there, so I know how to deal with it if it happens. But I also am very aware and mindful of that internal dialogue, because with anxiety and if fear kicks in, what happens is there there are two words that could potentially get in your mind, and when you when you give your mind permission to ask "what if." <laughs> you're giving your brain permission to come up with whatever half cockamamie scenario totally. it could come up with yeah. if like you're giving your brain permission to imagine and it's usually imagine the worst so i went through this years ago with the cancer and it was essentially why me why me why me why not me exactly it happened. Asking questions isn't going to change the, the reality of what's going on. So going back to what if, what if, what if, well, what if it doesn't happen? So you need to pay attention to that, all those what if questions, so you can learn to stop it before it gets out of control. And that way you're, you're, you're emotionally intelligent and you're, you're not letting your
1: brain go crazy I love it. I love the what if because I, man, I hear this all the time with athletes a lot when I'm working with them. And what if actually lives in the future? It's not even about now. So I let some of them talk about, I can hear their language about what if, and then I say, can I ask you a question? Cause you're, you're talking a lot about the future, which we're not there yet. What if now? And they look at me and it's about bringing them now. Like in that what if now is what we're talking about. And it's it's funny because we call it pre living or past living. The pre living is all what if, what if I get hurt, what if I don't get minutes, what if I don't make the game winning shot, what if my girlfriend doesn't like me, what if I don't get the scholarship? Okay, we're not even there. What about now? about now? And and it just it's it's like sobering to see them going, oh shit, and I've been living my life, I've been pre living a lot, and it, and it's easy to fall in that trap. But I I think it's huge because what if. The, uh, it, it doesn't really serve you. I can understand there's another side of like, what if from a strategic strategic standpoint, like what if this happens? I need to make sure I do this. That's one way of kind of maybe inviting the what if, because you're kind of planning, right? But right. more often, like what you're saying, people, the what if is they're thinking negative thoughts. What could go wrong? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's when, you, again,
2: going back to that 13 year old kid who's fighting for his life on the shower floor, focus on what you want, not the avoidance of what you don't.
1: What about this? What about pressure? Right. And I love, I love talking about this because a lot of times when you're dealing with younger athletes when you ask, is pressure good or bad, right? This whole good or bad scenario, more often than that, they'll say, yeah, it's, it's negative. It's bad. And I've said, well, it is, if you think that. So Like with all the things that you have gone through, man, talk about being in pressure situations. What is your relationship with pressure? And when did you get to the point where you kind of, you accepted pressure or, or do you feel pressure? What pressure? (laughs) Right. Right.
2: The, The only, if you feel pressure, then the way I see it is, you're allowing someone else to influence your feelings,
1: mm.
2: and your emotional state. You're in control of that. So I don't allow other people to pressure me into anything. And I think again, it goes back to going through what I went through when I went through it, because back, you know, peer pressure when you're a teen, you know, it's awful. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't, I didn't care. Right. So even now people like, Oh, Hey, you need to go do this. You need to go. I don't need to do anything, man. You know, I'm, I'm good. So pressure really doesn't, doesn't come from the out from anyone outside of me. I put it on myself, however, to improve where I was yesterday. Right. And I put the pressure on myself to stay focused because if, if I'm not focused I could literally take uh, six inches a step off off direction, six inches, and die. So the pressure I put on myself is real. That's tangible. I mean, there there was a time when I was skiing to, towards the North Pole, and there was an open lead, which is when the, the the polar glacier splits open. And how cold it is up there! It it almost instantly freezes. It, it's like the slushy material almost. Mm-hmm. And if you look down, it's so deep, so cold, so dark, it it looks like you're, you're looking into oil. Wow. So we were crossing this open lead and you could tell it just froze over because it was literally like slush, like slushy material. And again, I wasn't, I, I put my pressure on myself to continue focusing on where I wanted to go. And this is, this is maybe kind of going against what we were just talking about, the future and the present. So I was actually so focused on where I wanted to go as opposed to being in the present here in in this spot because I needed to get over there because my life would have been in danger if I was so focused on, hey, don't fall through. But again, I was so focused on where I was going and what I wanted, not the avoidance of what I didn't. So in my situation, I think pressure that I put on myself is a good thing to help me stay focused on where I want
1: to go. Yeah. It's more, it's more intrinsic, right? Yeah. That's, yeah, it's, it's huge. Now, when you think about your whole career, what do you think, I mean, and this is, I know this is going to be a, a loaded question here, but what do you think you've learned the most about yourself through all the things you've, you you have had to go through? Like what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Wow,
2: that's that's a, that's a deep question. <laughs> what have I learned most about myself? I think what I've what I've most learned is that wow, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm I'm still searching for that. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm still searching for fulfilling my life's purpose. But I would say I can probably handle whatever situation I'm in no matter what it is because I've, I've stared death in the eye multiple times and walked away. Mm -hmm. And I think I've, I've come out on the other side, incredibly grateful and happy for the life that I have. And I also know that I have changed Millions of lives around the world. And I think what I've learned about myself is that I'm always going to continue pushing myself for more. Mm-hmm. And I have this little gremlin on my shoulder. Most people are saying, you know, you're not good enough. <laughs> my little gremlin is saying,
1: that's not good enough. Ah, uh, I love it. I lo- well, and I wasn't asked this earlier uh, since you've done so much in your career, when is it, when is it enough? When, when is there, is there a, are you ever going to retire? Like, when is it like when you've like climbed, a, you know, enough mountains, um, competed in these extreme sports? Like, have you thought about like, or is it just, I'm not even there yet. I'm not, what if I'm not even pre-living? I'm just, I'm just doing this thing now. I'm,
2: I'm just doing this thing now because I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm more afraid of not living than I am of dying. Mm. and i want to get out there and, and and keep pushing the envelope you know there was a flight i took a few years ago um, dallas to hong kong where i was doing some g- giving some keynote presentations in hong kong and i sat next to a guy who was a multi multi multi-millionaire right he took that trip once every other week I mean, just insane <clears throat> and he kept talking about how much money he had and how he kept pushing for more and more and more and i just asked kept asking him you know how much is enough and he was telling me about his his family his kid his wife he told me you know that flights what 18 17 18 hours something like that so as you can imagine we had a lot of time to have some glasses of wine while we're eating our food and (laughs) talking on the plane and he told me that he missed his kids first words, his kids, um, first steps, his kid hitting the ball off the T for T ball. Wow. And as we were getting ready to land, you know, we just had this conversation for hours. I asked him two questions. And I think this is a good, a great question for anybody, you know, have, have you fulfilled your life's purpose? Are you still alive? And he, he told me that when we were getting off the plane, he's like, you convinced me to quit my job and spend, spend the rest of my time with my family because that's what means most to me. So going back to the original question and finding your personal core
1: values, people need to tap into those to be full and complete. And w- when you think about, you know, your core values and what you do to impact people's lives and, and not only sharing your story, but, you know, things that you do with your company um, share with my listeners about cancer climber association or CCA share with them what you do, why you did it um, and some of the success stories that you've gotten from that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The cancer climber association was, is the nonprofit that I told you
2: about earlier that we, we take a group up Kilimanjaro every year and anybody can go <clears throat> You know, you're, I know you're coming out to the uh, Colorado area, in a month, so you're going to start training for Kelly. We, we get there July 24th. So mark the calendar. There it is. Um, but we, I'm hoping, so we're, we're actually taking two survivors this year. I'm hoping with those two, they can raise enough money for three survivors in 2022. And then maybe in 2022, those survivors can raise enough money for five survivors to go in 2023 three? Am I doing the right math? And then eventually maybe 10 to 15 survivors every year for free to give back and empower them and have their stories then reach out to other survivors to change them and give them hope too. But on on top of that, I'm actually working on a program. Uh, If you go to the the summit, or I'm sorry, thebighillchallenge.com it's a three-week challenge where I help people focus on um, being mindful, the compound effect, vivid visualization, and bookending your day on something positive. And it's going to be a transformational experience. Just, just give me three weeks.
1: Mm-hmm. That's all oh. it takes.
2: Because I want people to learn what I know and what I've learned without having to go through what
1: I went through. Exactly, man. You, you know, and we didn't talk about my story, which is this is not about my story, but. The, the two decades that I had to go through with my health problems. And, you know, I've had two hip replacements on the same hip before I was 40, um, all this stuff. Um, what I've learned in two decades, I don't want people to, uh, it's all about living a big game, like play a big game with your life. And I played a very small and narrow game and I don't want people to take two decades to figure that out. I want them to figure out in a very short time by, by sharing my story and the things that I know, uh, that can be transformational, like what you're doing. It's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's all about being in service. I appreciate it, but, but like every, everybody has their own
2: proverbial mountains they're climbing. So for me, yeah, climb, I climbed Everest. It was a physical mountain. But for, for somebody else, their Everest might be getting off the couch and walking around the block.
0: Yeah.
2: You, 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 it's, it's, it's not a comparison. You know, you, you can't look at someone and say, oh, well, I could never do that. Well, you don't have to do what works for you, you know, go up your Everest, climb, climb your mountains.
1: Totally. What would, what would be your, your message or your words to a cancer patient? Someone that's going through cancer right now. What would be your message?
2: Hold on for the ride. It's a hell of a ride. And sometimes it's horrible, but it's, there's a tremendous life on the other side. <laughs> You know, for me, going through those two cancers was probably one of the probably the worst things that's ever happened to me. But it's the best thing that's ever happened to me as well. Yeah.
1: I say the same thing about my my stuff. Uh, it was it was shitty going through it. Trust me. You couldn't walk for four years and there's like there's a I'm so glad I went through it. <laughs> there was a reason why, man. There was a reason why I had to go through that. Uh but yeah, I feel that. I feel that's great. So how do my listeners connect with you? How do they learn more about your journey and connect with you on social media?
2: Uh, just swing on down to Castle Rock.
1: No, I'm kidding. Go, <laughs> go to
2: SeanSwaner.com, just like Sean Connery, S-E-A-N, the proper way. Uh, I love it. Swarner, though, Just like the Warner Brothers, but slap an S on the front, SeanSwaner.com.
1: Beautiful. Sean, mm-hmm. this is... Uh, this is an honor, man. I like to, to really get inside your mind and your heart and spirit to learn about your journey. Um, not only what you've done uh, individually, but what you're doing for other people. Um, I just thank you so much for sharing all this and being on my show.
2: It's, it's an absolute honor. Very grateful for your time and for the platform to share. So thank you. All right. Wow. <laughs>